Hi! Hey! Welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is really born out of one particular idea. See, it began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? Well, that led me in a deep dive into the history of Christianity, the history of the biblical canon, how the Bible was put together, and why some books were in and other books were out, how the early church worshipped up through the ages, how that developed and, and changed, and why the Reformation happened, and all of these questions. And it culminated in my looking into the Catholic Church. And it was then, as I began reading from actual Catholic sources, Catholics actually believed that I realized what I thought I knew about Catholicism was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on simple, simple misunderstandings. Well, this show serves to fill in that same gap. The gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church, no misinformation here. And this week, I am joined by Timothy Azad, one of my favorite conversion stories, I must say, I've ever had on this show. Timothy grew up nominally Muslim and then nominally atheist in Kurdistan in Iraq. And at the age of 15, in a very dangerous time and place to be a Christian, he became an evangelical Christian. From there, he came to London, where he began his work, some, some ministry work, and then served as an Anglican priest for a number of years before finally discerning a way to the Catholic faith. I, I won't spoil the story, but I'll say this. It's a fantastic journey. You do not, you absolutely do not want to pass by this episode. Let it play. Let it roll. It's a great story by a fantastic storyteller. And what a faith journey. It's really gripping. And fantastic. I, I, I love it. This wonderful conversation and all others on this show are brought to you by my patrons at patreon.com slash cordial catholic. You guys help to underpin this show with your monthly support to keep this thing going and growing each and every month. I said it before lately, guys, we have a growing family, a lot of demands on my time and being able to afford to do this both financially and, and time wise really is, is encouraging and your support makes that possible. It makes it possible for me to dedicate time to doing this in otherwise crazy time and, and day and it's not my full-time job. So I appreciate your support. Guys, each and every month, it helps this thing to continue to roll. And I have two new patrons to thank this week. Thank you to Esteban and thank you to Tom for your support of this show. It goes a long, long way, guys. If you can support the show, head over to patreon.com slash cordial Catholic. You'll get early access to episodes, behind the scenes stuff, and you'll be entered automatically into monthly draws for books handpicked by me. Thanks, guys. And now, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation, don't miss this one, <laughs> with Timothy Ezot. Please listen and enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. If you are listening to this on podcast, we're also available on YouTube at youtube.com slash the cordial Catholic. If you're watching us 
on YouTube. Thank you. You can also just listen audio only on podcasts everywhere you find podcasts uh, as well. You can just listen if you don't want to see us anymore or want to go somewhere or want to commute and listen to us as you go. Um, fantastic episode for you today. I am joined by Timothy Izat. He was born in Kurdistan in Iraq, a nominal Muslim, then a nominal atheist. At the age of 15, he converted to evangelical Christianity, just like me. He worked for two years in London as a missionary and then began training for the ordination in the Anglican orders in 2009. As an Anglican deacon and then priest, he served in Eastbourne in the southeast end of London and did an MA in Christian theology with a dissertation on Cyril of Alexandria while he was there. In 2020, he received was received into the Catholic Church through the ordinariate of Our Lady of Walsingham. Many guests in this program have gone that similar route. Uh, Timothy, so pleased to have you here on the show today. Welcome and hello. Thank you. Thank you, Keith. It's, it's great to be here, and thank you for the opportunity. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited to talk to you. I've been excited for a while to talk to you. Uh, I don't know how I first met you or encountered you, but I've been following you um, on, on Twitter for a while, your journey. It's been, <laughs> been exciting. And I, I think you. kind of the crazy thing is if I spoke to you a little while earlier, I would have called mm-hmm. you father as an Anglican priest. <laughs> I think... Mm-hmm. Um, if we spoil this discussion a little bit, if I, if I were to speak to you perhaps in, in the future, a little bit from now, I would also be calling you father, potentially. <laughs> so, uh, fantastic journey you've been on. I want to kind of get out of the way and let you tell us a bit about how it began. I mentioned you were nominal Muslim, then nominal atheist, and like mm-hmm. me, became Christian at kind of the exact same age, evangelical. Yeah. Let's let's begin at the beginning. Uh, tell us a bit about how your 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 faith journey or your journey towards faith uh, began for you. Sure, sure. Well, thank you, thank you once again for having me and for the opportunity. Um, well, as as you said, uh, I'm Kurdish uh, from north of Iraq. Uh, I, I think many people know of the Kurds, um, and I was born uh, there uh, to a nominal Muslim family. By nominal, I mean. You know, uh, like uh, to my, my small family um, practice Islam uh, on and off, but uh, I wasn't a, a, a practitioner of Islam. I, I didn't really practice the religion. Uh, I did believe that there is God uh, and all that, but you know, didn't really quite uh, keep it on a day-to-day basis. Um, and so, uh, growing up in a, in a small family, that was I with me, my two sisters, mom and dad. And again, those of you, uh, or most people will know of Iraq and Middle East, there's always been war and terrible things happening. Uh, so, um, Iraq went uh, through the Kuwait War, and uh, in 1991, there was a, a Kurdish uprising and revolution in which uh, I lost my father and the uh, civil war uh, sort of uh, broke out and uh, it was it was a terrible time lots of people died and uh, uh, lots of suffering um, and i happened to uh, also have um, a few members of, of my family who were atheists and uh, i remember them uh, especially one of my uncles uh, in particular speaking to me about that there is no god and this is all nonsense and and and, and things like that um, and he started to kind of challenge uh, the, you know the, the whole thing that well where is god from all the suffering around us and uh, uh, you know if if he's there why he's not doing something about it 
And the idea seemed uh, attractive, and particularly because I wasn't a practicing Muslim, I haven't really given much thought to Islam. Uh, I just thought, well, you know, uh, that's probably true. You know, I, I can't see God in the middle of this suffering. I can't see God from uh, what's happening uh, in, in our lives. Um, and Michael's sort of advice was, like, life is short. Um, as much as possible, try and enjoy it because you never know when you're going to die uh, and forget about everything else and just sort of uh, try and enjoy life. And that's that's the advice I kind of uh, took on. Uh, and, and remember, I was I was very young. I was like, you know, age of uh, sort of 13, 14 uh, kind of a, kind of a time. And again, uh, I, I call myself a nominal atheist. Not I didn't go through the sort of the Richard Dawkins studies and, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and reasoning. I kind of just uh, took my uncle's word for. It. Um, however, in um, December 1996, uh, that was a long time ago now, uh, December 1996, I saw uh, what's known as a Jesus film, um, which was broadcasted in our local uh, TV station. Uh, actually, it was Christmas. It was Christmas Eve. We have a, a, a small Christian community uh, in uh, Iraq. In my city in particular, we have Chaldeans, uh, which are one of the sort of uh, early Christian uh, communities. And I think as a mark of respect, the TV station sort of thought, uh, how do we mark uh, Christmas? We're going to put uh, Jesus film on, which is quite crazy <laughs> and, 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 and miraculous in many ways. So I kind of glued up to the TV, uh, uh, watching... Um, a film about the life of the Messiah. Now, what, what really intrigued me about that is that I knew, uh, you know, from in, in Muslim sort of religion and culture, is that uh, you, you know, uh, a depiction of a prophet is forbidden. Uh, so you see a movie or two there are about the history of Islam. You never see uh, Muhammad. You always see a shadow of him or something like that. So I was intrigued to see whether they're going to depict Jesus in the film and. Lo and behold, they did. They depicted Jesus. And I was just sort of glued to the TV screen and just watching and watching. And at the end of the film, uh, when the film finished and showed the resurrection and all that, they kind of showed little images from, from, from the film. And there was a voiceover talking about, uh, you know, the, the great leaders, uh, religious and otherwise, have come and gone. But Jesus Christ is alive today and he can come into your life should you ask him to. And, uh, you know, I kind of in disbelief just thought like, you know, this is this is ridiculous. How could he come into my life, you know, dead for 2000 years? And I did. Uh, I did. So I then suggested that um, there would be a prayer and I could say that prayer, uh, uh, you know, repeated afterwards. So I thought, you know, I'm not going to lose anything. I could say that prayer. And I did say, ask Jesus to come into my life. Of course, not believing that such a thing is possible. But I thought I'm not losing anything anyways. Uh, but, you know, lo and behold, Jesus took me seriously for my prayer uh, and uh, and so um, the, the thing that happened after the film is that I had a, a, a great curiosity about who this uh, Jesus is and uh, the fact that he was crucified and the claim about his resurrection and loving your enemy and this kind of stuff I just wanted to find out more about him the obvious thing was for me to go and get uh, my hand on uh, an Injil uh, in Arabic they call the New Testament Injil because you know I know the Christians have a book called the Injil. So I thought, I'll go and get myself an Injil and start reading about it. And I and I went to the market and I uh, got uh, myself a, a secondhand uh, New Testament. And I started reading through it for some good 10 months. Uh, and I kind of read, you know, through Matthew, Mark, and I sort of felt, oh, yeah, this, the stories are starting to repeat themselves. And and then I started reading the, 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 the epistles of St. Paul, and I was getting uh, a bit sort of... Uh, Amazed that uh, Paul saying pray all the time, 
you know, and I was thinking, so how do you pray? You know, what, what, what do you do to pray? I mean, I was, I was ready to pray, but I, you know, how do you do it? Because, again, coming from a Muslim culture, I thought there must be some rituals. There must be some times in which I could, you know, pray and do things. Uh, but I couldn't find anything like this in the New Testament. Um, and so... I started to speak to people about uh, you know about Christianity and and people kind of got to know that I'm reading the uh, the New Testament and there's an interest I'm growing an interest about it and uh, whilst at school uh, there was a there was a there was a guy whom I heard of a guy who became a Christian and I thought well that's that you know that's that sounds like a like like a, the guy I want to talk to and I did go and and, and I and I speak to this guy to introduce myself I said I heard you become a Christian and I really have some uh, some questions I wonder if you could help me. And he said, well, you know what, I, I sort of kind of became a Christian like about a week or so ago. Uh, so I haven't really got, I'm, I'm not sure if I could have answers, but I, I, know, I know I could take you somewhere uh, that it could help you. Okay. And that place happened to be, uh, 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 you know, sort of on the same road as where my school was. It was just a sort of a normal house uh, run by NGOs, uh, Western NGOs. Uh, and he took me there and there were a number of, other uh, other other people, Kurds. Uh, actually, all of them were Kurds. Um, and um, you know, he introduced me to them, and they said, "Well, these guys are all Christians." And soon, I found out they all were being Muslim and being converted. And then I met with uh, one of them. He started giving me the story of Adam and Eve and the fall and 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 things like this. And I kind of thought to there to myself, said, "Well, you know, I really like to meet real Christians." I was like, well, what does that mean? So, well, I like people who've been born Christians, you know. Um, I, I mean, no disrespect, but, you know, you guys are all converts. So I, I, I really want to meet some real Christians. And so they said, well, okay, I mean, you know, the church is down the road, you know, um, you go there and speak to them. Uh, unfortunately, that never happened. I, I always kind of walked around the church, which is a Catholic Chaldean church. The door was always sort of shut, and I, I could never manage to get in. Uh, and I, I never really, I had some Christian friends who were, you know, Chaldean uh, Christians, but they were so afraid to, to talk about these things. Uh, so, so I never managed managed to have a conversation uh, uh, with them. So I came back to, to, to uh, the little sort of underground church and I said, okay, well, um, you know, tell me more about Christianity. And the chap explained more. And then he said, would you like to pray? I said, well, I'd love to, but I don't know how to pray. So I said, well, um, it's easy. First, you know, I'm going to say something and you, if you agree with it, then, you know, say it after me, which was simply, uh, you know, asking Jesus to forgive my sins and asking him to come into my life and, 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 and take over. And I must say, once I said that prayer, I felt an, an enormous amount of joy. I thought like, you know, there's something, uh, something has happened. I didn't, I didn't know what it is, but I was full of joy. People could see it on streets, you know, like this guy's just sort of hooping about and, yeah. you know, what's, what's wrong with him. And I, I couldn't make sense of it myself, but I just went along with it and of course to to cut a, a long story short uh soon my family found out and that was a, a big deal and though my family uh, as i said they weren't particularly religious but somehow that was seen as a mark of it's something you don't do you know it's something that's that's not right society won't accept uh, and soon uh, I, my mom said that she's received uh, threatening phone calls from Islamists and things like that. Something that I'm not sure if, had, if it was true or was merely uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, manufactured to deter me from going to, yeah. going to church. But 
But at that time, it was all very real to me. And at home, they didn't speak to me. Uh, they kind of all shunned me. You know, I was home, but they shunned me. There was a threat of just denying me as a son. And uh, I felt the pressure at some point. I felt an enormous pressure that this is, this is, uh, this is not, you know, this is making everyone very unhappy. Uh, and I remember uh, telling the, the chap who kind of helped me to pray, I said, look, I don't think I'll, I'll come to church anymore. I think, I think this is causing my family lots of uh, uh, trouble. And I went to my mom and I said, look, mom, if, if, if my Christianity is sort of making you sad, then, okay, I'm going to stop being a Christian. Uh, and the moment I said that, I felt an enormous sadness in my heart. I felt there was something wrong, that I did something wrong. Something wasn't right. I mean, to the point that, uh, you know, I, I was, I, you know, I, I, in the brink of crying. You know, there is something, I knew something's not right, uh, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Then I called, I called that chap in the church uh, on the phone, and I told him what happened. And then he said to me, he said, uh, Timothy, here's the thing, is that, there was uh, at the at sort of uh, at, at Holy Week, there was Peter and there was Judas. Uh, one denied him and one betrayed him. One decided to die away from him and one returned to him. Which one do you want to be? Uh, and that, that was sort of very, sort of, you know, it was very poignant. And like, and I said, well, I, I guess I want to be Peter. He said, well, then never deny him again, because if you do, he will deny you. And I think that was sort of a turning point. That, that's it. There's no going back now. You know, I'm a Christian, and people need to accept that. So uh, my family then thought, me being a teenager and all that, I'm being influenced by all the people and all the rest of this. And because of the civil war in, 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 in the region, there was uh, the idea of us immigrating to, uh, to a safer part of the world. So a year from my conversion, we uh, came and settled in, uh, in England, in London. And, and then, you know, as, as time went by, uh, I, I suppose my mom started to accept more and more, like, well, my son has become a Christian you know, he has that freedom and he's not in, that, in danger anymore. So, you know, let him be, uh, if you like. So that was, that was sort of how I became a Christian. But I suppose the, the other thing next to that was when I was a new Christian, uh, someone gave me a, 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 an audio tape, if you remember them, you know, sort of, you know, the cassette tapes, you sort of put them in and all this. And it was a testimony of an Egyptian guy who was also from a Muslim background, became a Christian. And I listened to it and he mentioned... Uh, uh, you know, he was asked, so what are you going to do next? And he said, well, I'm, I'm hoping to kind of do some kind of uh, uh, do, do a Bible study or, or going to Bible college. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. What's, what's Bible college? What's theological college? And I asked uh, the, you know, the guys in the underground community and said, oh, yeah, that's where people want to be sort of ministers and things like that. Uh, they go and do something called uh, um, theological college. And I, and, I, and I also find out that such thing doesn't exist in Iraq. So, but that kind of became, started to become a dream of mine. Like, oh, I want to go to, to a Bible college. I want to go and learn more about my faith. But coupled with that, there was something that's important that I think ultimately led me to the Catholic Church was the thought that um, the aftermath of the apostles, the, the, the period immediately after the apostles is important to Christianity, to how Christianity was shaped and became what it, what it is. Um, I mean, at least that, you know, I understood that much about Islam. So, for example, in Islam, uh, you're reading the Quran to pray, 
once again, is the Quran doesn't tell you how to pray. You have to go to the tradition to learn how to pray and when to pray and, 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 and things like that. So, so without the tradition, the Quran doesn't make much sense. You know that there's a command of praying, but how do I pray? The answer lies every, you know, somewhere else. So, so for me, I kind of had a, had, had a similar understanding. I was thinking like, well, surely uh, the period after the New Testament, after the Apostles, it's uh, it's important because uh, uh, you know that that's if you like how, how Christianity sort of came into uh, you know into existence. It sort of uh, it was no longer just a primitive uh, sort of a thing, just house churches, but uh, trying to become a, 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 you know a, a religion as we know it. Um, so I went to 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 uh, Bible College here in London with the view and hope that I would learn about the post uh, New Testament era. Uh, it was a Pentecostal Bible college, and you won't be surprised that there was no mention of, <laughs> you know, the post-apostolic church. It was more about, uh, you know, things that was happening in America kind of a thing uh, than about, uh, you know, Antioch and Alexandria and, and Rome and things like that. And so I, I, I kind of ca came out of that uh, sudden that it didn't actually give me what it, it, it I hoped for, but at the same time opened my eyes as to... You know, um, I, 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 you know, I started to look for a more rooted Christianity. That uh, whatever's happening here is all uh, very new in, in 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 Christian history, and I looked for uh, you know something that's rooted in history. Where do I go for that? And obviously, I then uh, uh, became a missionary for an organization called London City Mission, and they were more on the sort of conservative evangelical side, and they were more sort of grounded and trying to be biblical and all that. And I learned a great deal from them. But again, it was sort of on the free church side, not, not much attention to uh, what happened before Luther, and uh, my search continued. And almost by, well, you know, but by accident, it, 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 you know, that, that's, that surely is the case, that I came across the uh, Anglican Church. And uh, once I did that, um, the question of, I mean, before, before becoming an Anglican, uh, the question of becoming an Anglican priest sort of was raised. So it was a bit crazy. Like I wasn't even an Anglican, but that question kind of came came into the point. So I, you know, I kind of, I just grabbed it. I thought, you know, this will give me an opportunity to learn about the church. And I learned about, uh, I learned, well, as I came close to the Anglican church, I learned that, oh, they have holy orders and they have liturgy and, uh, uh, you know, sort of, um, uh, there is a sense of, a capturing of uh, the early church and, uh, and and all that, so kind of that gave me enough curiosity to pursue uh, uh, ordination uh, in the Anglican Church, and of course I went through uh, lots of sort of interviews and meetings and learning about the Anglican Church, which was all uh, very great, and I'm very grateful for when I uh, look back. It was a, a very formative time uh, in my life, and I was then recommended to. Um, to be trained as a priest uh, in, in Oxford. And of course, I think by now, uh, yourself and your listeners will know that the Anglican Church is a bit of a strange animal uh, in many ways. It has, it has sort of uh, the, you know, evangelicals of all sorts. And uh, in the same time, it has uh, Catholics who uh, might think of themselves more Catholic than the Pope. Uh, so, you know, you kind of have the, the two and also everything in between. Uh, now, in England, that's certainly the case. I know in, in American Canada, they, they might sound to be more kind of on the sacramental side of things. But certainly in England, 
it will have uh, a great variety of uh, the whole, you could say the whole variety of Christianity is, exists in it. And so the college I went to was, uh, you know, evangelical. And the emphasis was on the Puritans, on, uh, again, evangelicalism as it was understood in England and in America. And there was very little, by, way, by the way, of the fathers. There was something, but it was more like a window shopping of, of the fathers. Uh, and, and, and also of Anglicanism itself. It didn't actually have much about Anglicanism itself. It felt like you've been trained for to become a Baptist minister, uh, but um, only the name is Anglican, sort of a thing. That's, that's how it felt to me. However, the, 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 the important thing was uh, for me, and what was really helpful, is that when you are in Oxford, uh, you are not bound by the college. You know, you could really be uh, anywhere, attend anything, and the doors are open for you. And that was the first time I remember uh, going to what's called schools where, you know, different lecturers from Oxford come and, and, and lecture. Uh, there was this lecturer talking about Justin Martin. I thought, like, ah, that sounds like the sort of person I want to read. And I got my hand on Justin Martin. I started reading about the fathers, um, started to read Justin Martyr and then getting myself into Irenaeus uh, a little bit. And then uh, my whole view of how I see the church and how I see Christianity started to be a challenge. I remember I was receptive to all these things because I was looking for, uh, you know, to, to my mind, uh, how, you know, what happened after the apostles. There's a, there's a progression of how Christianity came about. So whatever that gives me, I'm going to hold on to it. Uh, and 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 then you know I try and sort of be true to that, and and of course as 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 you read as you begin to read the fathers you find that actually there is a higher view of the Eucharist uh, than the you know given uh, both evangelical uh, and I would say Anglican view uh, to to some extent, and that the Eucharist was central to the life of the church you know people were gathering. Uh, for the Eucharist, uh, there's a description of it in Justin Martyr as to what the church was doing. Uh, and you see it in uh, Ignatius of Antioch. You know, there's a, a, a huge emphasis on uh, on the Eucharist and on the bishop and on, uh, you know, the deacon and the presbyters. And, and, and these things, uh, it was definitely in conflict with my college uh, teaching and obviously the evangelical views that I have had. I think more importantly, well, you know, kind of new Anglicanism has something of that, but I suppose what was even more revolutionary for me at that stage is that the New Testament itself as scripture came about in the bosom of that church that had bishops and it was uh, gathering around the Eucharist. And it wasn't just like, here's a book, again, like Islam, you know, that kind of just drop down from heaven and saying, there you are, that's your book, <laughs> off you go now, kind of a thing. Uh, and 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 so therefore there was tradition. You know, there is the word tradition is mentioned in First Corinthians chapter fifteen when Paul says, "I hand over to you what was handed over to me." So you know, I don't I don't think it works in English, but it's like saying it was you know it was tradition to me what I tradition to you. And he says that about the Eucharist and about Jesus's sort of basic, if you like, uh, you know, the, the, the beginnings of the creed that Christ will be born and he will die, he will be raised. And so that kind of was the skeleton, that was the measurement, that was the tradition through which New Testament was put together and kind of collected, uh, you know, as a book and testimony. Of course, I'm simplifying and having uh, delved into some of the fathers deeply, I know, uh, Patristic scholars saying, "Well, you're making it so simple, you know." I, I know, uh, yeah, but but this is this is a podcast, and I'm just trying to kind of 
uh, give you a skeleton of of, of these things, sort of a, a brief description. So, so I suppose scripture inter- interpretation became a big deal. And I remember in my college, it was a, the, 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 the emphasis was, I mean, you know, um, an Old Testament lecture, uh, the lecturer came in and uh, she put the word Jesus on the uh, on the blackboard and she put a, an, a cross over it and said, there is no J word in this class. Right. And I was thinking, right okay (laughs) uh, that is that is that's a big deal and 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 that became sort of something stayed with me no 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 the 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 question is is that christianity has claimed that uh that the old testament is a christian book it's a book of the church so how do i read it like jesus did how do i read it like the apostles did? how do i read it like the fathers did? and that really became the the great passion of mine sort of you know how do the fathers read the scriptures that sort of it became the question i came out you know i kept kept me busy for uh, uh, well up, up to now i i, I suppose and um, so so in the light of in the light of the eucharist the way the new testament was put together you find that Old Testament was also the church's scripture, you know, and it has to be read within script within the church to to be understood uh, the Christian way. And I think I think from Irenaeus, I kind of learned, you know, you could read the scriptures in any way you like. I mean, he has this beautiful image uh, of, uh, you know, the, what the heretics do. That they he says like the scriptures is like a, like an image of uh, a king, uh, a mosaic of a king. Um, uh, the heretics come and smash it and they rearrange it and they make a fox or a dog out of it and they say this is what it's supposed to be but actually scriptures will give you a picture of the king king christ uh and therefore he says well you can read it any way you like but if you want to read it with the church this is the way you need to read it it has to be this way there aren't any other ways it's this way that you have to read it if you are to be true to the church, so that 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 was an important principle that I kind of got from Irenaeus. I suppose the other thing that I also got from Irenaeus is the fact that, again, he's saying so. This is not about me and my understanding and what's my ultimate judgment uh, about something, but this is what the church says. And if you want to belong to the church, uh, so there is this sort of you need to humble yourself and accept that you know uh, Christians have come before me and have read the scriptures for over 2,000 years, and this is the church's way of understanding it and refining it and getting it to this point. So who am I in the year 2021 to say, well, I know better than the church? Um, so, so that kind of, that was another important uh, factor that it's not, this is not about, I'm not studying theology anymore so I could make my judgment about things, but rather I've already accepted what the church says, and I'm simply rejoicing in that and trying to understand it uh, and understand the deep mysteries that has 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 brought to me, um, rather than thinking that I'm going to have to come up with new things. So that's 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 sort of uh, uh, the, the the college period. But that opened my eyes, and I sort of thought, right, I'm I'm no longer an evangelical now. The the, the trouble was is that uh, college was very evangelical, and I came to an uh, you know for what's known as curacy. When I finished college uh, and graduated, and then I got ordained as a as a as a deacon, I came to an evangelical Anglican church. Now, in my mind, I thought uh, uh, college was not being honest to what the Anglican church looks like. So, the evangelical Anglicans will be more respectful of holy orders of you know the sacraments and things like that but once i landed in in my curacy as a as a as a beacon and then a trainee priest 
uh, I sort of realized that my training uh, incumbent, who was the senior priest, uh, he didn't really believe that, um, you know, well, unlike Anglicans and unlike the Book of Common Prayer, he didn't really believe that uh, baptism causes uh, a regeneration. He didn't have much by way of, uh, you know, sort of liturgy. He didn't care much about that. It was more like a free church. And I think we both kind of came to the conclusion that we are saying different things. And, uh, you know, we, 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 this is not going to work. Um and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm really grateful to him because we are great friends. And actually, our, our relationship has worked better since we, you know, <laughs> we kind of knew where, where each stands. But, but then I, I kind of took that to sort of uh, uh, the diocese and said, well, I, I think I'm, I'm more on the, event, uh, on the, on the um, Anglo-Catholic sort of uh, line of things. Uh, and, and, and this is not working for me. So they kind of transferred me to another church in the same town in Eastbourne. Uh, which is actually, by the way, it's south of England rather than south of London. It's on the coast. Um, and that was uh, St. Mary's Old Town in, in Eastbourne was, is, is in the high Anglican tradition. That was a, that was a, a, a wonderful period for me because uh, they are kind of, uh, was kind of released to, um, you know, read uh, people from the Oxford movement, read more of the fathers. There was uh, daily, um, you know, Eucharistic celebration, adoration, uh, and in many ways, very Catholic, uh, 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 you know, if you like. And by the time I finished my, my training, which was about four years, at both churches together, um, I uh, subscribed fully to the traditional um, Anglo-Catholicism line of the Church of um, England. Like, you know, like, like uh, I believe that we're the heir of the Oxford movement and uh, Keeble and Pusey and, you know, all, all these great guys. Uh, we, we are their children. And then I became uh, an incumbent, which means I became a, I had a church in, you know, I, I was put in charge of a, of a church. So I had my own church to look after Again, in the same town, a wonderful church, uh, wonderful people. But soon it became clear as time went on that what I have started to appreciate about the patristic tradition, what I have started to appreciate about the priesthood, my, my, my view of the priesthood was changing all the time, becoming more sacramental. What I have come to believe about the church as a vehicle of salvation, these things can't really be sustained in uh, in the Anglican Church and tradition, uh, so I started to kind of struggle and not be happy with uh, what I have become and also uh, uh, what I was doing in the church. So somehow it felt like I'm being dishonest, uh, you know, uh, with them. And obviously the Church of England was, you know, uh, whatever it has believed, it was moving on from it all the time. There's a sort of a fast movement in, in, in all, all circles. And I think uh, perhaps some, some of my Anglican uh, friends and colleagues, uh, you know, former colleagues, uh, if they listen to this, they will be thinking, well, yeah, but, you know, yeah, but that's not, you know, they, they have a different view of the Church of England than I hold now. And I, and I think for me, the, the trouble was that I, I came to the conclusion, I did say to us, a friend of mine who said, why are you becoming a Catholic? I said, okay. How many things can I say about the Anglican Church in terms of belief and practice? How many things can I say about it? And you would say, uh, yes, but no. You know, like there's going to be a disagreement about it. No matter what I say, there will be very few things that we can agree on. The vast majority of things we will disagree about because there are, you know, so many views and they all are Anglican and they are all there. So I can never really claim 
with confidence, saying this is what uh, we Anglicans uh, believe about X, Y, or Z. And I can't live with that uh, tension uh, uh, all the time. Uh, my people in church, they don't have the same view of what's Christianity, what's the church, what's the point of this, what's the point of that. And there's always tension and unhappiness uh, on, on Sunday services because people have different views as to what a Sunday service should look like. And I call it service because that's how it's viewed. You know, something should be a high mass, something should be, uh, you know, just sort of uh, some kind of uh, a school assembly or something like this. So I came to the point thinking this is this is not working. And I and my views have changed uh, greatly about uh, about Anglicanism. And uh, if I'm honest to myself, my views are more true to the Catholic Church than they are to the Anglican Church. But I was trying to resist it and argue myself out. And uh, then uh, came, I think it was New Year, which is, is a funny thing, New Year 2018. And we were in Edinburgh with my wife. And I never do New Year resolution. I don't kind of really do, do this kind of things. But I just thought, I don't know why the, the thing came to my mind. And I, and I told my wife, I said, you know what? I think I'm going to... Um, have to follow this, uh, you know, this, 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 this question started to bug me about, about the Catholic Church. I'm going to have to follow it and, and find out more about it. And uh, my wife agreed to it. Um, you know, I should have said perhaps earlier, my wife is a Chaldean Catholic by upbringing. So, uh, you know, uh, she was, uh, but by then she was also kind of had a journey of her own uh, to out of the Catholic Church and then back to it in, in, in some ways. Um, but then I took that question seriously, and I started meeting uh, Catholic uh, priests in uh, Eastbourne, uh, and we spent a lot of time uh, together, and, and, and among them was an, an, an ordinary priest. And it became clearer and clearer that, I, you know, I no longer identify as an Anglican. Uh, I appreciate a lot about the Anglican Church, and there's some great things uh, about it that has given me, and I still cherish, hence I became an ordinary. But... Ultimately, it's not the Catholic Church. Ultimately, it's not in communion with the See of Peter. Uh, and uh, whatever I was believing about, uh, uh, you know, about the priesthood, about the church, Anglicanism is not its natural habitat. Its natural habitat is the Catholic Church. And so therefore, if I'm honest to myself and to my people and to everyone else around me, I, I follow uh, that to the conclusion that I need to become a Catholic. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, in uh, June of 2020, which was the Feast of St. Cyril of Alexandria. <laughs> okay, that's a, that's, a, that, that's a long story, but I hope that that makes sense. That's a fantastic story, mm. Timothy. I, I love that. Mm. Listeners are going to love listening to that. Thank you for telling us that mm. in such good detail. There's so much to unpack there, so I want to go back a little bit to near the beginning of your journey and just think about the perilousness of you becoming Christian in the first place? I mean, not many of us would become Christian and then fa in an underground church, essentially, and then face these mm -hmm. kinds of sometimes open persecutions. That that alone is is, <laughs> is pretty intense. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, kudos for, I don't know, that, that teenage gall to do that. <laughs> I don't know if you were... If you yeah. were daring or just or just stubborn being a teenager <laughs> and just like, no, whatever, I'm just going to do this. But that's... That's amazing. And then I think what's so fascinating for me to hear is this instinct that you had to look beyond the time period of the New Testament to, okay, what happened next, 
right? That that's mm. really interesting. Mm. In th- I want to explore, explore that for a minute because I was I was in a Pentecostal church when I first became an evangelical Christian in in high school. So I know that the, I have I have deep roots in the even in the Pentecostal church, and I know how they do history. I know that kind of idea of well, really, the biblical history ends when when Acts is over, and then the mm. church from there until now is kind of this this murky darkness. We don't really know what happened. We didn't really care what happened because we're Christians now. We live kind of like we're the church in Acts. But you miss the whole interim, which we now know as Catholics is a quite a bit <laughs> quite a bit in there. So yeah. th- that instinct to know more of what happened in that time. I mean you follow that you followed that instinct and began reading mm. the early church fathers. What were you discovering as you as you read them? I mean I think you've unpacked this a little bit for us. W- what I found mm. too is these guys called bishops and the centrality of the Eucharist and these kinds of things that mm. I didn't discover that till many, many years later, a decade plus later of becoming, mm. becoming an evangelical. What did you begin to find as you found those early church writings? I mean, looking at your faith as more of an evangelical, even as an evangelical kind of Anglican in the seminary, what did you begin mm. to see? What was the major difference for you between what you were practicing and, and, and living as a Christian and then finding these early church fathers and, and that picture of how Christianity looked yeah. early on. Does that question make sense in there somewhere? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yes, I, I, it does. It does indeed. I suppose, as, as you know, uh, evangelicalism has a emphasis, a strong emphasis on preaching, right? So uh, the church gathering is about um, preaching. That's the sort of the big thing. We're going to preach the word. Um, and I think as I was reading the fathers more and more, I was thinking how beautiful and colorful the church is. It's not all bound by me sitting in a room and listening to someone for 40 minutes. Uh, but there is iconography, there is art, you know, there is liturgy. Liturgy is, is just one big expression of, uh, uh, you know, an artistic expression in, in some ways, if you like of expressing God, communicating, and, and the senses, the use of the senses, my five senses, you know, in, in worship that, you know, I'm, I'm not just, it's not everything is in the heart between me and God, uh, you know, uh, kind of a thing. And the church matters, you know, the church matters. I'm not sort of, well, I'm going to church because that's what, you know, there's this sort of sense that we go to church because that's what we all believe in that. And that's what God wants us to do. But you know, as an evangelical, you believe, well, you were saved without the church. You don't, you know, why, why would you need the church sort of thing? And uh, also gradually grasping the idea, I'm still grasping that idea, but of the saints being alive and uh, in our lives, uh, that this, the church is not sort of a two-dimensional thing. Um, it's there is, you know, at, at, at the Eucharist, at, at Mass, that we are joined uh, with with the choir of heaven, uh, with the saints, with, with the summit to to you know Mount Transfiguration, and there we're all surrounding uh, Jesus and seeing this beatific vision. So, I would say the church fathers they added color, and uh, and 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 I think this is another important thing about uh, that I want to reflect back. That to me evangelicalism was sort of abstract in the air. It was like a bubble speech. It doesn't. It never sort of kind of lands. It's not grounded in, in things. But especially since I've become a Catholic, you know, the, the church has practices that wants you to practice, you know, and it's in these things that you find these things, you know, the, the, the theology of the church, the belief of the church is actually grounded and starts to become tangible. It's not just, you know, uh, oh, I believe in these things. I'm going to have endless arguments about who said what and whether it's right or wrong and all the rest of that. No. You know, 
I am uh, I am in sort of in communion uh, with with the saints, uh, and and that that I don't know if that answers your question, but but that basically is is for me what what the fathers brought. It's not just about preaching. As a matter of fact, preaching, I don't know, it's great, but it's it's you know it's make. I mean, when I was an Anglican, I understood that in a sense that uh, when I was preaching in my Anglican evangelical church. And I was reading the fathers. It was always very difficult to land the point because there is no connection to 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 anything else, to to liturgy, to the Eucharist, to to, to the stained glass windows and things like that. So you have to go through enormous pain to try and drive a point. But when I became a sort of more on the Anglo-Catholic side, I could just point and say, well, that's why we do this in the Eucharist. That's why we do this in, you know, that's why the stained glass window says that. That's you know. Uh, you know, so 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 the the preaching only actually started to make sense and become a proclamation, not just my my thoughts, but it's a proclamation now because it's in the context of the liturgy. In fact, itself it becomes a liturgy, and together, uh, then the road to Emmaus becomes complete. Uh, you know, like uh, the breaking of bread, and so you know, if, as a matter of fact, you know, Christ kind of opens the scriptures and shows them Himself, and they see, oh yes, it's all there. But they still don't recognize. Oh, this is this man who is explaining all these things to us is Jesus Christ Himself. So now they kind of understood Him in theories. They in the book, they met Him in the book, but not in person. But it's only at the breaking of bread it becomes complete. Like, oh my goodness, that was Himself. That was Jesus Himself. And then, you know, the sad faces and the sad heart turns into joy. Let's run back to Jerusalem and then tell the disciples He's alive. So, so I think you see that that's what the fathers, I suppose, brought uh, brought to my life. And yes, as an Anglican, we had a glimpse of that. But uh, I think Radzinger changed my mind about it. So yes, uh, <laughs> that's. <laughs> I love it. We're getting we're getting a little mini homily here. I love this. That's fantastic. Sorry, I apologize. No, I yeah, love yeah, I apologize. it. I love it. And that is a fantastic way of explaining that, right? Because we would go as evangelicals, even as you're saying, as an evangelical Anglican in those contexts, where a bit of a bit more of a low church experience. And the sermon is the thing, like the the preaching is the center center point, right? The 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 pulpit or whatever is in the middle of the stage. The, that mm-hmm. is the that is the central thing. I we met for a while in one of my churches uh, that I last was in a non denominational church that I was deeply involved with my wife and I, and we met in an, a Lutheran church. We we have a service before theirs was like we do our service and then they do theirs afterwards. Kind of two congregations living in one building and the Lutherans still had an altar there on there right, right? yeah and we would put yeah. the kind of, we would put kind of the the our pastor's little music stand with his notes on there in front of the altar and he yeah. would right and, and just symbolically it's kind of fascinating to reflect on that idea that he was sitting in front of the altar which should be the central point of of the service and the church fathers would have showed us that that was the center point of the whole thing for those right the the majority of christianity we put the preacher in front of that, and then the, yes. the point is is the sermon. But like you said, mm-hmm. in that fantastic example, yeah, Christ shows us that, but that leads on the road to Emmaus to the Eucharist. It, it points towards that, and there, mm-hmm. the, the understanding is unlocked in the breaking of the bread, which we know mm-hmm. it was a way of explaining what the Eucharist was. That was, right? Yes. That was kind of the, the, the word. I love that picture. <laughs> I think that's mm-hmm. incredible. Wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. And I... I think too. You mentioned about Bible studies, and I think this too resonate with you. We did Bible studies as Pentecostals, as non-denominational evangelicals, in my experience. Mm. But we're sitting mm. in a room 
arguing arguing over verses of scripture, right? Passages of scripture, yeah. and we'd refer elsewhere in our Bibles to kind of back up our understanding. But I think yeah. as you found too, we're arguing with just the Bible. We're totally negating the two thousand years of church history that's come before that. We didn't know it existed. Like yeah. We we had, didn't know it was there. But you find the church fathers. You, I mean, I I can remember. I was in a Bible study near the end of my time in as a Protestant Christian, and I had I had found the church fathers, and I brought a little uh, a book of the church fathers to a Bible study, and we're unpacking. I think it was Romans or something, and I'm and I'm pulling out church fathers who've referred to these passages, and like, look, well, look at this, what this church father says. And I'm getting just blank blank stares around the room because people are, are going, well, who are the church fathers? And why does that person have the authority? Or, wh- or why should I listen to his point of view? He's not yeah. Brian McLaren or Dallas Willard or these people that we had read, read as evangelicals. It was just so foreign, right? But how silly is it to think of doing a Bible study and being cut off from the rest of church history, right? Yes, yes. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy, and, and and I suppose um, you know that 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 idea of you know I sort of I become a judge over 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 the Bible you know I kind of I'm going to read I'm going to learn the Greek and all the rest of that, and I must say I got I got tired of that I got just please you know sort of you know that just and and you were never sure because it's because all that it does it makes you cleverer and more argumentative uh, you know um, rather than Thinking well, you know, I, I recently I've been well for the last six months. I've just been reading Origin of Alexandria, his 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 commentaries, and you know, as I've been telling my wife, it just, he drives me to prayer. You know, whenever I read him, I feel like oh, I, you know, I I want to pray now. You know, he's it's, it's, it's not leading me to arguments. You know, uh, he's leading me to prayer. Uh, and, you know, I go to church and as he explains, you know, you need to face east and have your hands when you pray. And, you know, as you know, in the Catholic Church, when we say the Lord's Prayer, we raise our hands. I could see immediately the connection between like, oh, you know, this is what these guys did. And the theology led to prayer uh, and, and loving God and worshiping him rather than, you know, I, I'm not saying these things doesn't exist in the, in the evangelical church, like they're not worshiping God. But there's a great deal of. So what does the Bible actually say? That sometimes, uh, or actually, you know, a, a lot of time, it just sort of takes away from just being able to 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 stand there in awe uh, before God and say, you know, this is this is just beautiful, this is amazing. I, I don't have things to say. I'm here just to, uh, you know, to gaze, to reflect, and offer worship, um, rather than, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> So you love the the Book of Common Prayer. You love the Anglican tradition, mm. but you begin mm. to find it kind of wanting. And I, I I know what you mean. I've had guests in the show, Father James Bradley from the Ordinary. I've had all these different guests who had these similar experiences. And I, I can think of my own kind of stopping over in the Anglican Church here in Canada. It's very similar to there in England, where you you get these different sorts, and you get the idea that. That everyone, and I love how you put that, that you you can't really find commonalities in a room full of Anglicans. You can't find something that we all agree on because mm. there's all these different views on those things. I mean, I can think of yeah. friends who are Anglican priests here in Canada who are very Anglo-Catholic, who would say, yes, the Eucharist is central. Uh, you know, I, I have, I, they can affirm the different uh, Catholic dogmas on, on the Blessed Mother. They see these things as being valuable. They would... They would find their their patronage, or they'd kind of find their family tree is is part of the Catholic Church, 
But then mm. there's also Anglican friends that I have who are priests who are on the absolute opposite end of the spectrum, right? Who would say, yeah. no, you know, those Catholics have it all backwards. They're doing it wrong. The, the, we'll do communion kind of once a month kind of thing. We'll call it communion. The low, very low view of the sacraments, mm. low view of things like marriage and gender and sexuality, low view of the Bible. I, I have friends who have told, explained to me what it, what it looks like going to an Anglican conference, and yes. and these resolutions are put forward and are voted on upon on the Anglicans in the room, and the Bible isn't even mentioned in the resolution or in the arguments or the debates, right? And and, and the guy yeah. who stands up and says, "Look, shouldn't we give the Bible more credence here on on this subject, or give the tradition yeah. of the church yeah. more credence on this subject?" And they're kind of the minority, the the one person in a room of thousands who are saying yes. this, right? So yes. it, it was, for me, kind of a microcosm of the larger Protestant movement. I mean, wh- mm-hmm. what I was hoping mm-hmm. for in the Anglican Church as I was looking into it before becoming Catholic was this holding on to tradition of how the Church was for 2,000 years. What I found was just a mini-Protestantism where there's all different different ways of being Anglican, as there are in being mm. evangelical or, or, or Lutheran, there was no grounding in, in in an authority, even in the Bible, right? There was no. Yes. So, yes. was that kind of the, the the sense that you got as you were were, and that you mentioned <clears throat> tension too, right? Tension is the word that I mm. I would feel like is that's right. Yeah. What's going to yeah. rip me to shreds? Trying to stay Anglican if you are yes. traditionally minded, right? Yes. Yes. I I suppose there are a number of things that I think um it's, it's worth commenting on. Um, I think one of them um. Uh, in a, in the churches I've been to, and I've been to many churches, and I've also been a priest in some of them, Anglican priest in, in some of them. And as I said earlier, that people see the, ch- the ch- they call it the church service, okay? And service uh, it could be anything, could be a number of things. It's not one thing. So people, they wake up uh, and they come to church, they come to a service. Some expect it to be high mass and some expect it to be uh, more sort of a low evangelical type of thing. And even in those, at least in my experience, those who subscribe to Catholic uh, sort of ecclesiology, that's usually the clergy and maybe few people. But within it, you find a, a great deal of difference, and there's always unhappiness, and there's always arguments to why people not come to, not coming to church, why are not winning more people to Christ because we this because we are more Eucharistic or because we do it this way, and it's endless. It's a, you know, as as a, as a as a vicar, I remember just getting tired of all these things. And then when I became a Catholic, and and even before that, but it became more home to me when I became a Catholic. I went, I woke up and went went to to, to, to my wife, and I saw everyone just quietly, either kneeling or just sitting quietly, uh, before before mass started. And I said to my wife, I said, "Well, I think here is the thing that these guys wake up in the morning and they say we're going to mass." They are not saying we're going to a service. It's quite clear what they're expecting. We're going to church, and it's going to, going to be mass. And I don't have a say much about what's that going to look like, you know, or what do I think it should look like, and all the rest of that. Now, I know, of course, there is a bit of sort of uh, flexibility, but, you know, uh, you, you will for sure, when you go to, to church on Sunday, you will find mass in a Catholic church, right? And that just brought an enormous uh, peace that you know i'm not i'm no longer going to church to argue what's the right way of worshiping god i'm going simply 
to worship God. The other thing I would say, which 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 again touched me very very much, uh, you know, before becoming a Catholic, whenever I had a holiday, whenever I was on holiday, because you know on Sundays as, a, as an Anglican priest you were obviously in church. So, but when I was on holiday, I always used to look for the closest Catholic church and and try and attend there. Um, and I noticed that there were children in there, right? And I think up to now I could say, uh, you know. If not all, most Catholic services that I've, you know, masses that I've been to, that you will also see some children kneeling with their parents, right? Now, in the Anglican Church here, the great argument was that we're losing our children. We're not, we're not getting them into church, and there are hundreds of programs and arguments as to why and how, uh, you know, why are we losing it and how can we bring them back? And most of the solutions, it's not getting them. To mass or to church is always kind of some kind of either make church some kind of a uh, Sunday school assembly. I don't know uh, if you understand Sunday school yeah, assembly, yeah. but you know, uh, or or uh, make it so family friendly and so water it down so children could come. Or there's the obviously the good old Sunday school and, but you know it's endless argument about how do we bring. And I and I went and I went I went to the Catholic church. I was thinking like. Yeah, but these guys also are British, or uh, they at least they live in this country. They face similar problems because you know usually in the Anglican Church the arguments are well the kids now go to football on Sunday and you know what have you. I was thinking, but why are these guys are bringing their children to church? Why are they kneeling? You know, it's just sort of intrigued me that it's the children. I would say it was one of the greatest arguments. This sort of felt like no matter how clever we I could become when I can when I can come and see parents kneeling be- beside the children then you know that's it you know i'm sorry like you know look these guys have managed to do it their children are with them and they're coming to church and they're worshiping god so 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 you know uh, the, 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 both things that you know what what do we expect when we go to church and that because it's mass people can bring their children uh, that uh, sort of had a huge impact on me. I suppose the other thing, I think probably I'm probably di- diverting from your, your, your question uh, uh, here now, but coming back to, 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 to uh, you know, coming to Ratzinger, because I started reading him quite quite a lot, and especially his book on, on the liturgy, uh, which I can't remember what's, what's the title now, but he has a it's, a, it's a well-known, I think one of his most well-known books, uh, he just talks about what's the liturgy, basically. And, and I think in there, he starts talking about that liturgy must bear, should bear on my moral life. Uh, it makes a requirement of my moral life. It's not just something uh, like, oh, isn't that beautiful? It touches me, but has no bearing on how I live as a Christian and what I do, and no questions are asked. And that was for me like, yes, I mean, we 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 do beautiful liturgy in the Anglican Church, and there are fantastic priests uh, that uh, they are amazing, and they're trying to live the Christian life and all the rest of that. But Anglican liturgy by now, and after all the movements and what has happened to it, it could be so beautiful, but doesn't really um, sort of make a requirement uh, on you as to how to live as a Christian. I thought, yeah, there's something, there's something not right there. So, 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 you know, every 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 uh, Anglican or, or people who live in this country will will acknowledge that. Let's say, comes Christmas, everyone rushes to the beautiful, uh, you know, King's College uh, type of uh, Christmas carols and, and and all the rest of that, and they enjoy, they love this wonderful sort of uh, you know hymns that are full of wonderful theology. But that's it, you know. Once they leave the door, 
it it sort of uh, it sort of uh, stays there. So so I think the the other thing for me was like, you know, if the church and its liturgy doesn't touch my moral life and my Christian walk and my discipleship, then I'm afraid there is something not right. So that was another element that kind of sort of pushed me. But you mentioned also, uh, I, I, I'm just going to finish with this and, and, and let, you, let, you, let you speak again. Um, but uh, you mentioned the Book of Common Prayer. I suppose that there are beautiful elements then. And the, the fact that they are beautiful and, and they, because they do belong to the Catholic Church. Um, what do I mean by that is that, you know, when, when the Reformation happened and, and Cranmer here and, 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 and the, the Anglican Church uh, started to put the Book of Common Prayer, uh, the Book of Common Prayer together, it was them, by and large, not in everything, but by and large, drawing from the resources they knew of and they already had and it was practiced uh, in this country and uh, as, as, a Catholic, as a Catholic country. And so I love the fact that, let's say, uh, as, as an ordinariate, when I was as an Anglican, I was doing the same, that I read the, you know, the book of Psalms once a month as, as part of my prayer life, for example. I love the rigorous reading of scripture uh, in there and some of these beautiful traditional Catholic prayers that's been retained. Uh, so, you know, these are the elements that I appreciate, but, 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 when I was an Anglican, the Book of Common Prayer is gathering dust uh, on the shelf. Uh, you know, for some, it's just sort of a it's a historical artifact. Uh, now, of course, the Book of Common Prayer's theology of the Eucharist is is very Protestant, uh, so that's something that I'm I wasn't happy with. Uh, so you know, there are there are all these little uh, elements and and and, and dilemmas that uh, eventually I think it sort of pushed me towards the Catholic Church. And I'll stop now. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. <laughs> and I want to just revisit the idea of that tension because for me, the idea of this idea that the, you could, the liturgy should be rigorous and should be rooted in this, uh, for Anglicans, this book of common prayer that you say is gathering dust, how that exists in, in one part of the church, but not another part of the church. That for me creates this mm. kind of tension that that would say, and maybe you could elaborate on this, that would to me say, like, I can't remain in this church that... That, that one side sees the need for a rigorous liturgy and the importance of that, but the other side yeah. of this, the spectrum, allows same people in that church to just kind of do what they, what they want. How could this be the, the church that Christ in, intends? Is that... Does that make sense? Mm. Yes, absolutely, and and I think this is this is I think uh, another another important point. I'm gonna I I, I I I you know I'm I'm sort of you know as I said there were lots of reasons that was leading me to the Catholic Church, and these are things that I had to wrestle with as 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 I as I was considering it. Um, is that when you go when I used to go on holiday abroad, right? Uh, I can't go and receive mass. Um, there are either no Anglican churches, or if there are. Then, as a traditionalist Anglican that uh, believe that uh, priesthood is reserved to uh, to to you know mem- the the male members of the the humankind uh, and and of course female are the church, uh, so they are by no means second class and it doesn't mean women doesn't have ministry. But you know, I had a traditional, uh, I, I you know, I have a traditional understanding of that. That I couldn't really actually go to an Anglican church and receive uh, communion. And the Anglican Church was so fragmented. So, you know, even even here now, uh, when I was a traditionalist Anglican, we have our own uh, supervision as to, uh, you know, as to, to, you know, sort of kind of keep us, if you like, uh, uh, you know, intact and, and, and all the rest of that. So the, and, and, and somehow there is a 
there's a division. Uh, you know, that's one obvious division. But there are so many. But there's the evangelical uh, Catholic division. There is the high low church division, which obviously, you know, it's it's it's, it's the same as the evangelical and, and and the Catholic. But then there's the tra- the traditionalist uh, versus the modernist. And 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 this is not like the Catholic Church in the sense that we could have all these arguments. We could disagree on things. We could have different views about this and that. But we're not going to argue about mass on Sunday. We're not going to go and say, well, I don't think I'll receive Eucharist from this priest, you know. Uh, so, 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 so that element of unity of John 17, uh, Jesus praying for his church to be one. And for me, I'm now reunited, not just to Catholics, uh, you know, in, in this country, but Catholics of my uh, wife's family in Iraq, uh, uh, for example, you know. Uh, I could uh, go anywhere in the world and enter a Catholic church, uh, you know, whatever language they speak, whoever they are, and receive communion. Not that Anglicans don't have that diversity, but they don't have that unity of reception. That unity of reception is missing, it's lost. Uh, I mean, what does it even mean? What does unity mean? Uh, Coexistence, you know? Do we just sort of coexist and do a few things together uh, and be nice to each other? I don't think that's what Jesus called us to. Yeah, and I, and I think of, I think it was Father James Bradley on this program talking about his journey. It could be someone, I could be mistaken. It could be someone else I had on here, but but yeah. they had said that they would go to a certain bishop in the Anglican Church because they knew that he had maybe the most the most valid orders out of other bishops, or right, or they'd yeah. avoid certain yeah. other parishes, like you say, because they'd have more modern tendencies or more modern views and. And these things were changing, like the women's ordination and then women's ordination as bishops. Like these things were changing, largely in in spite of of protests to look at the scriptures and to hold fast mm. to the tradition of the church, and with with warning signs, right, of, of this fracturing unity. Like you know, don't yes. like let's wait and read and study more about this before we do this because it's going to fracture the church apart. I mean, you saw this, and you're describing this kind of firsthand, right? Mm. The, this this idea that the tension of of being an Anglican in the Anglican church, never mind an Anglican priest, is yeah. is you are trying to walk a line that is getting, I think, smaller and smaller or thinner and thinner, mm-hmm. more difficult as and find the, the the parishes that hold to the traditional Christian faith. Find the parishes that that have the the rigorous teaching that yeah. that underpinned yeah. Anglicanism since the Reformation, but is quickly quickly flowing away. Yes. I, I just yes. I just think Absolutely. of those. I think of those listeners or viewers of this program, and I and I get these letters all the time from these Episcopal yeah. priests, these, these Anglican priests, these Anglo Catholic listeners who are mm. walking in this tension, and are finding it harder and harder to do because you really are. It's a, it's a form of Protestantism where you're kind of picking and choosing which churches you go to, right, and, and who you listen to. Yes, ultimately, right. And and you haven't got the choice. And I suppose uh, one of the dilemmas I, I face as a, as a priest is that, um, you know, the Anglican Church you can marry divorcees, right? Uh, but they also recognize that you know the traditional view of the church is not uh, uh, doesn't the church doesn't marry divorcees. So that's left to you as a priest to make that decision. So you become your own pope and yeah. bishop. You know, you make that decision. Now that sounds very easy. Like okay, I'm going to just you know I have a policy. See, I mean, um, mine was like, I don't just marry divorcees. It's, it's as simple as that, you know. Uh, but then uh, my people, and I've had this, they tell me, well, but um, you're, you know, uh, bishop such and such is, is a remarried, uh, and uh, the priest down the road does this. 
and then suddenly you feel like so I, you know uh, you know there isn't you know like like as I, as I used to view it about the Catholic Church and I, I and I know now it's true you know Catholic priests could say well it's not down to me it's, you know there's a teaching there's a magisterium I'm afraid uh, you know as much as I might wish to help you I'm afraid I can't you know but the anchorage, the onus are on you. It's 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 you who making my life miserable. You who's not going to let me marry and all that. And so you you find that you actually are, uh, you know, in the in in line of fire uh, all the time for not sort of uh, letting us be the sort of Christians we want uh, to be. Just because you have some views about some, you know, old men lived, I don't know how many centuries ago. And, you know, I mean, who cares about them sort of a thing. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm caricaturing, I'm, I'm simplifying things. But but these were real tensions, and the, the, the Church of England around you, even if you sort of managed to say, I'm going to get my parish, uh, you know, uh, um, to, to be uh, true to, to, to historical Christianity, at least as I understand it, the Anglican Church around you is moving all the time, and moving fast, and having policies, and having... Uh, strategies as to how to get uh, you know more people into the church and how to change this, how to change that, and you just can't catch up with it. And you know, I mean, I, I saw, I, you know, I I personally sort of felt tired. And you can't really protect your people from that because they are, you know, in the Church of England. I suppose this is more of a strength rather than a weakness. They are aware of what's happening in in the wider church, but but the wider church is having new initiatives all the time. Uh, and whilst you were just trying to say, you know, look, guys, if we just come to church, do morning and evening prayer, we do mass and try and live our Christian life and be true to Jesus, uh, you know, quietly and, uh, uh, and, 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 you know, not, not shy away from our faith in our workplaces and, you know, the way we deal with our neighbors, then the church will be sustained, it will grow and, uh, and all that. But, you know, when people don't have actually faith in that, uh, and in, in their own Christian calling and identity, the identity is in crisis. That's I suppose I suppose that's 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 sort of the the the, the uh, you know sort of if if the, the way to put it, it's that Ang Anglican identity from the Reformation has been in crisis. There isn't there is an Anglican identity. In fact, Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, he has a book called Anglican Identities with an S at the end. So there are identities in conflict all the time. So how will this church then come up? And here, I'm not talking about some policy about this and that, but this is now touching and has been touching the core uh, values of the Christian life and Christian doctrine uh, and faith. And yes, there's always, let's say, the remnant who will believe and be true and all the rest of that. But I suppose I kind of, and I know uh, some former colleagues of mine, I suppose they see themselves as martyrs. They're going to be martyred in this, you know, for, for the cause of Christ. I saw that, no, my calling is not to argue with my congregation all the time, uh, sort of a thing. My calling is that, uh, and, and argue with the hierarchy and, and the church uh, that is sort of managing me, uh, you know, not just sort of the laity, but also those who are above me. No, my calling is to, that there is something the church has agreed on it, Theologically, I know the theology and the, the core values and all the rest of that. And my job as a priest is to take them from, you know, walk alongside them, because uh, I myself am a disciple. Walk alongside them from uh, from where I am, from the sinful humanity, to becoming a saint. You know, that's 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 my that's my calling as a priest. Not you know, not all these other things, which is exciting. It makes Twitter so fun and all the rest of that. But that's not my calling as a priest. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, what you said there, too, about protecting 
your your congregation. It's so fascinating to me because, of course, if 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 you might be a more traditional minded Anglican priest, you might be trying to live out the Book of Common Prayer and and the things that the Church has taught for, for since the beginning, despite the Reformation. But if if the church as a whole is moving away from those things, how hard it is for you, for you as a priest to, to kind of lead and guide your flock, as it were, when the rest of the church is kind of separating from what you see as the core Christianity. That sounds like a terrible tension to live in and Absolutely. more and more difficult. And I think, too, of this is what I think so many converts try and express, and I, I do too in the show a number of times, the idea that, okay, so you become Catholic, and now you can say the church believes this. You don't just say, yeah. you know, I believe this in the church. The Anglican church believes all these kinds of things, the identities. No, there is a Catholic yeah. identity that's grounded in the catechism, in the teaching of the church, yeah. which goes back to, uh, that, you know, 2,000 years. That's such a, yeah. such, a, such a distinct difference, I think, that should be underscored so many times. That, right? Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. And, and this drove me, I mean, I would read in Matthew where Jesus talked about how, how to settle disputes amongst believers, right? He says, bring one more, then bring two, and then bring it to the church, Right. Well, I yes. brought that verse to my 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 non-denominational unical pastor. I said, "Well, wh- what is the church? Because if we disagree here on these things, I bring this to you, and you say, no, you you guys are wrong. This is what this is what we believe as Christians. I can go down the street quite literally to a church that believes what I believe, and and so what is the church if there's no final stopping point that says, okay, you're in or you're out in this yes. in this case, right? And the yes. the Anglican Church, I think you'd you'd agree doesn't have a better answer for that because there's so no. many different answers in the Anglican church, but the Catholic church says, no, this is what we believe. Right. So yes. I could bring, yes. like you said, you know, and there are, there are, there are Catholics and Catholic priests across the spectrum that may have different yeah. views on things, but ultimately mm-hmm. there's that stopping point where it says, no, 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 this has been authoritatively decided upon. This is what the church believes. Here it is. Whether you yes. believe it or not, Here's what we believe, right? It, it, it is what it is, yeah. That is such a distinct, that is such a major difference for me in in yes. Anglican versus Catholic, and in in Protestant in general versus becoming Catholic, and even in, in Orthodoxy yeah. versus Catholicism. Yeah. There, there's a stopping point in the Catholic Church where yeah. you you're in or you're out based on what the Church says, not what what you say, right? Yes, and, and I, I think I think uh, two, two, two points actually, if I may. The first, uh, and I recently I've been sort of reflecting on this because I've been reading uh, Pope Benedict more and more uh, versus so many other great people that I've read, Anglicans and uh, and, and others in in the past. Uh, I was telling this to to my wife. Uh, you know, like there is always as though when when i was reading these uh, great anglicans and and, and others uh, other non-anglican and also non-catholic is that as though there's also an argument that god's working on the fringes god's always on the border he's sort of not happy with the church and he's working from there a prophetic voice is coming from that that's really where god is and all that and that is sort of not very tangible. It's always you're running after it, trying to catch it am i there am i not there you know am i and all the rest of that but what I've learned from Ratzinger is that he speaks from within the church, comfortably from the heart and center of the church. You know, this is this is a church teaching. God's going to be here. And these are the precepts that the church have laid down. These are the beliefs. These are the practices. You do them and see where you're going to be with Jesus. You know, you're going to be, uh, you know, a happy, satisfied uh, Christian uh, if, 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 if you want. So so I, I loved the, 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 the fact that 
you know, uh, the Catholic Church is saying, well, you know, you could point to all sorts of mistakes popes have done and all the rest of that. But the Church's teaching is the Church's teaching. You hold on to it. You practice it. You be a good good Catholic and see what happens, you know. And I can tell you, I've only been a Catholic for, for a year. I'm much happier, much satisfied as a Christian than I've ever been uh, in my life uh, as a Christian. So I think that's 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 the first point I want to make. The, the second point, which I think is also important, is that uh, obviously there are, uh, you know, uh, and, and I say this in love, um, there are lots of Catholic voices uh, in US, uh, sometimes here and other parts of the world. And they, they well, at least that's how they see themselves. They speak for the Catholic Church, uh, you know, and I think... I mean, I don't think they are, they speak for the Catholic Church, but that's how they sort of view, view themselves. And I had to tell some people that, you know, no, I, by becoming a Catholic, uh, no disrespect to anyone here, I didn't become an American, I didn't become an Irish, I became a Catholic, all right? And, um, you know, I, uh, that, that, is, that I think is important, is that what, you know, lots of people are hearing things uh, from, 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 from people who are Catholic, and, you know, uh, and, and, but that's their view. That's, the, that's a wonderful thing in the Catholic Church. You could say such and such have you know priest or bishop or whatever. Yes, that's their view. They can't immediately tell you this is what the church teaches. I mean, uh, if you know, if, if they are, if they are, if, if they're going to be honest about it. Well, in the Anglican Church, you could say, well, yes, some Anglicans believe that, and some others believe that, and 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 for a time, it sounds like this is so beautiful and liberating. You know, I could just you know. Uh, to try and follow my own conscience and 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 believe uh, anything, but then suddenly you find like, well, but but I'm in conflict. There's all these conflicts uh, around me. Uh, where 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 in the Catholic Church there's this sort of restfulness. No, this is what the Church believes, and the wonderful um, sort of uh, advice and prayer of Saint Anselm of Canterbury, I think uh, it is, is that uh, you know I, uh, what how does it go? Is it uh, I. Um, I believe in order to understand, I think, or, or, or something something along these lines, you know, I believe, I accept what the church is saying, even if I'm struggling with it, uh, I believe it, I accept it, and I know in time, in time, I'm going to not just say, oh, well, that makes sense, but rejoice in it, you know, uh, rejoice in, in the truth that, that the church brings. That, I think, is what the Catholic Church has given me. That's so well said. And the word... The word restfulness, I love that. I mean, I've been struggling for a long time, blogging for, I don't know, six, seven years, podcasting for a number number of years now. I have so many guests who articulate this, and I try really hard to, to also articulate the idea that you can you can rest in the Catholic Church. You don't have to figure mm. out your theology on every single point and be arguing constantly about what what, how we should interpret this or that. I mean, you know this as an Anglican priest, you faced this tension you said before, before yeah, in, yeah. In, in great detail with people in your congregation, yes. what they believe, right? But you can say, no, the, the Catholic Church believes this, and it's right here, and, and you can hear these talking heads. I mean, I'm a talking head. You can, yeah. you can check what I say against the catechism, what the Catholic Church mm-hmm. actually says it mm-hmm. believes, right? I can say all kinds of, th- kinds of things, and, and they're out there, and podcasts and YouTube and people write these things, but you have this source to check, which the church says is protected by the Holy Spirit from from error. To, and you don't have to. I mean, I I left evangelical church that I was a part of as they were wrestling with the idea of of marrying same sex couples and gender identity. I left that church in the midst of that, and we were essentially just pulling out different verses of scripture and different theologians that we liked and and bashing them together to figure out who we thought had the best angle. Th- that That's yeah. how we did theology. We thought it was right. 
we were so angsty and we were so uptight and yes. and struggled. And I know our pastor lost sleep. He struggled, and the church eventually split apart after we left on on this issue. Right. Right. The Catholic Church can argue about these things within the Catholic Church, but we have the Catechism yes. which says we believe this. Right? I think restfulness is such a good word because it's it's so yes. different, yes. isn't it? That experience of 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 doing theology, right? Yes, yes, absolutely, and I and I think here's the point is that, uh, of course, I'm not saying that people shouldn't do uh, YouTube. I'm actually no, now, you know, I have agreed to be on, on a YouTube channel <laughs> and all that. So uh, I think I think it's uh, you know the Catholic Church, of course, encourages us uh, thinking and uh, you know delving into things and uh, see the logic of it. But I suppose the Catholic Church has been thinking for over two thousand years, and there's a lot of richness there. Uh, and that, you know, um, we we kind of need to draw uh, from all that uh, to kind of understand any given issue. And I think the sort of work you do and many others do, we need to engage and be able to articulate that faith. So, for example, one of the things I used to be uh, put, used to put me off a little bit when I was trying to become a Catholic is Catholics telling me, well, the Catholic Church is right. Well, you know, um, no, we, we need to talk about the issue, you know, we need to talk about the issue. We need to, uh, you need to explain to me why the Catholic Church is right on this. Why is the belief in, uh, you know, the, the, the Blessed Mother, uh, the Holy Mother is this rather than that? Why do we believe this about the Pope? These things need to be laid out, not necessarily sort of argued, but discussed, you know. This is how I see it. This is how the Church sees it. This is why we believe in this. And sort of uh, understand and respect the objections that the, the modern world and, and, and other Christians uh, sort of bring and sort of respectfully uh, sort of in, in, engage with that. So, so the, the, you know, what you guys are doing, what's, you know, what you're doing here, it's, it's amazing what many others are doing. It's amazing. Uh, but let's remember all the time that, you know, this is a, a church of 2000 years. And as you said, that I don't have to work out everything now with you in this interview uh, for people, you know, I, I I'm, I'm resting. I'm I'm speaking from a from 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 a, a you know a vantage point of of being restful. You know, I'm going to explain to you what I can, and uh, you know, um, there are all sorts of things that I don't have to necessarily get my head around it and you know understand it and argue it. Just believe that I am in the hand of the saints. Uh, and, and and the saints, uh, you know, gonna gonna carry me there in their prayers, and hopefully, you know, uh, please God, that in time I will join uh, that that great choir. Um, please God, uh, I think that will take some time, but you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, fantastic! That's a great place to to close up this conversation. I, I've had such a great time talking to you. I know that Thank listeners will be absolutely edified to hear the story. It's a fantastic one, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Normally, I ask I ask my guests where they want to point people towards to to, to read their books or see their videos or the lectures or something. How could people follow you? I mean, because they're going to want to know more about you. Well, uh, right. I, I am I am afraid I haven't got a book uh, or, or or things like that. But uh, I'm I'm hoping you know if if if, if God uh, makes that avail- possible, uh, I'm hoping that in in future that I do a PhD and all that. But I'm not there. I haven't got a book yet and all the rest of that. But I am on uh, Twitter, um, as, as you know, and, uh, you know, uh, follow me. I usually follow people back. And uh, I am going to go to seminary, starting seminary this coming uh, September. So pray for me. I'm really eager and really looking forward uh, to it. 
uh, and uh, you know uh, my uh, in my inbox, my DM on on Twitter is open. If anyone gets in touch and have a question about my journey, I'm not an expert on the Catholic Church. I'm learning a lot. There's a lot that I don't know. There's lots of jargon that I'm still getting my head around as to how these things work and all the rest. Of it. So I'm not I'm no expert on the Catholic Church or anything. I can just only tell you about my journey and why I think uh, my decision of becoming a Catholic is. Uh, was the right one so twitter is the place uh, to get in touch that's fantastic and i'll put a link to your to your twitter uh, profile in the show notes and we'll have you back again lord willing when we can call you father which will be an amazing journey <laughs> lord willing uh, that's fantastic timothy thank you. thank you so much for joining me th- this week i can't say it enough i've been looking forward to this for a while and, it, and really it, it's exceeded yeah. my expectations so thank you i want to say god bless you god bless the work you've done for the church and are doing for the church and uh, in the future, we'll continue to do. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Likewise. Well, there you have it, guys. What a fantastic conversation. I truly loved it. Hopefully, you did too. We'll certainly uh, have Timothy back on the show, as I mentioned, uh, hopefully in the future, as Father Timothy, as he has begun seminary and is studying to uh, become a Catholic priest, which is just fantastic. What a guy. What a story. And so generous of him to give up his time to be on our show. So thanks. Thanks for listening. Absolutely. TheCordialCatholic.com is our website for show notes and blogs I have written and am writing. We're on YouTube at YouTube.com slash TheCordialCatholic. You can watch episodes like this. Please do subscribe there if you can, too. That helps to push the podcast or push the video, the, the channel, out to more viewers on YouTube. I'm at CordialCatholic at gmail.com. Love hearing from you guys each and every week. I love the emails. I get back to them as soon as I can. I do read them all and respond when I can. I'm always praying for you guys when your emails hit my inbox. So thank you for your feedback. At Cordial Catholic on Twitter and on Instagram, The Cordial Catholic on Facebook. And please do subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or, or Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find us. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please do leave a rating and a review if you can, because that really helps to push the podcast out to new listeners. Patreon.com slash Cordial Catholic or paypal.me slash Cordial Catholic for a one-time donation. Thank you to those who are using that means to help support the show. Please do pray for me. Know that I am praying for you as well, guys. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this show. It's it's a dream. I don't even know how it's happening and why anyone listens, but guys, I love it, and I'm glad to be used in this way. God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.